find yourself already familiar with the third with the twenty-third Psalm. So if you will go ahead and stand with us as we're turning to Psalm 23, Psalm 23 this morning, even as we continue through in Psalm 23. This morning we're gonna ask you, somebody requested that when we get to Psalm 23, we read it together. So this morning all we're going to do is we're going to read this text aloud together. So everybody has got to sound out as we read Psalm 23 together this morning. Let us begin. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Will you be seated this morning? Since it is so short, we're actually going to read it again. But this time we're going to do it differently. We're not going to read it aloud. I'm going to read the first part. You all are going to read the second part. I'm going to read the first clause of each verse, and then you all will read the second clause of each verse. So you'll know when I stop speaking, it's your turn to speak. So let's try this together this morning. The Lord is my shepherd. I, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let us go to the Lord and pray together. Father, how precious it is just to be before you anytime, God, seeking to be in your presence, God, whether it be individually, but this morning to be able to do so collectively and together this morning often, that word we call corporately, God. What a wonderful blessing it is that we get to read the word together, O oh God, Father, that we get to vary it. That, Lord, these psalms, they have rhythms to them. They have means of communicating to us these precious truths. What a precious one you have set before us this morning, Father. We just pray that we would always honor and reverence your word as we ought to do, O oh God. Lord, we just pray that you would be with us, lead us, guide us, direct us in all things, that we would seek to glorify you and you alone. Lord, we pray all these things in my Son, Jesus Christ, most holy and wonderful name. Amen and amen. This morning, obviously, in Psalm 23, it's it's pretty simple. It's, it's not complex. Perhaps one of the world's favorite psalms. If you know John 3.16, you probably know Psalm 23. And it, it never fazes to amaze me of, of all the faithful translations that are out there. It seems to be Psalm 23 gets memorized in the King James English. There's just something about it that rolls off the tongues for us. And I've often heard it remarked that for most of us in the United States, the British accent seems to be the accent of education. It's the accent that most of us in the United States are drawn to is sounding better. So there's there's something about the language of the King James in Psalm 23. It just sounds smart. It just sounds good to us. But for those of us who know the true meaning of the psalm, it reads it leads us to something much more 
when we read it. When we read it together, there should be a joy. I don't know if y'all ever noticed this, but when I try to read the Psalms, I try to read them with a little bit of an emphasis sometimes. And I didn't pick that up on my own. I've heard that from great professors. Sure, I've heard that from great men of God, great preachers. But I really learned that from my mother. She would read the Bible, and she wouldn't read it like everybody else. Everybody else would read the Bible, and they'd be bored. Mother, whenever she went to tell a story, she was not boring with said story. She has even given a book to my Tara that she reads to her kids in school that is a well-known book in our household. And she used to read it, and she would put all of the emphasis to it because there was an emphasis to be had to the story. Beloved, sometimes we read the Bible in such a mundane way that there's nothing fun to it. There's just all the fun has been taken out of it. Sometimes we're boring Baptists, and, and, and we don't want anything to be fun. Don't you dare have fun in church. I'll never forget, though he He's a Methodist, and he was following a Methodist. My dear friend, her brother, often talks about one of his mentors, Tommy Greer, and he said, Tommy Greer was the first one who taught me you could have fun in church and that it was okay. Sometimes we come and we're downtrodden. That's not wrong. There ought to be that the church is the truest place that you can come and you can be downtrodden, and we're not going to beat up on you. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we get crossways with each other, and, and we'll beat up on each other in a little bit of ways. And beloved, we're being sheep in that accord. If you ever watch sheep for long enough, they kind of headbutt one another every now and then. And we need to be kept back in line every now and then. I get that way. You get that way. Beloved, what's the best thing for us to do? Forgive one another and move on. Just walk with one another, understanding that we are sheep. That yes, even though I serve as the under-shepherd here, I'm not the shepherd. I'm not the great shepherd. I remember some four years ago, nearly early, if I'm doing my math right, some nearly five years ago, that hurts my feelings a little bit more, the first Sunday that I was to be able to preach at Goshen as having accepted the pastor there. Brother Joe Deese actually concluded they had asked me to be their pastor at, at Goshen, and Brother Joe was actually preaching. We had kind of been on a two-week on, two-week off cycle with each other for about a year. And Brother Joe was finishing up, even as I had accepted a week or two before, but the first Sunday that I got to stand and declare the word of God as pastor of Goshen Church was from Psalm 23. And I've never forgotten that day and what it means to me to be able to look to a congregation and say, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. To be able to actually step in this stand and declare that to you is the object of this goal. That's the object of all that we are doing, is that when we meditate on the Word of God, let it not end there. When we carry our devotions with us, I don't know what your devotional style is. I have people that beat up and, and be like on preachers, and they'll be like, well, you need to be devoting yourself somewhere else in Scripture. You need to be preparing for Sunday, but you need to make sure that you have other devotions too. And then finally, I felt beaten up by that for a long time, but then I had a pastor named Mark Dever, who I was listening to, and he said he makes the text of the week his devotion. I thought, dear brother, that really just helped me, is that, beloved, most of the time, you know where we're going to be. You have some idea. If we're not going to be in a certain book, we're probably going to be in the Psalms. So keep meditating in the Psalms, but don't let it die there with you. Don't let it be something that you're reading in the morning or reading in the evening, and it never comes out of your mouth. There ought to be that you're praising God with all of who you are. This psalm looks in two different ways, what I would call the external manifestation of worship and then the internal manifestation of worship. Or maybe I should say the in external uh, the external nature of it and the internal nature, or rather the internal expression and the external expression of worship. Because if you notice here, verses 1 through 3, it's an external profession that King David is making. It's a psalm of David, and it's all external. He's declaring to others these things. But when he moves into verses 4 through 6, it has become internalized. 
Yes, the rest of the congregation is there, but he's no longer praying as if he is alone. No, he, he's no longer praying as if anybody else is around. He's praying as if there is only an audience between him and God. Beloved, there is something about the way that the church ought to be worshiping. I've heard many things. I've heard many odd things that many different churches do odd things. But, beloved, when you gather here for worship, I should never want to browbeat anybody for not being noisy because some people talk about, and I was even in a meeting this week to where somebody was beating up on people for not being loud enough. Well, you know what I've learned about you all is you may not be the loudest, but you're still worshiping God. You may not be making the most external professions and the most external expressions of your faith, but beloved, you're keeping it internal, and I trust that you're worshiping God. I've learned that about you all. Beloved, just because you don't worship the way somebody else worships, that's going to be okay. But please note there are both the external and the internal expressions of your worship unto God. That there is the internal life of devotion, but there is the external life of devotion. We live in light of King David saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I love the story of one who came to me and he was telling me that when he was reading this psalm in verse 23, he had heard all of it all of his life. And when he was reading it, he said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He didn't know to look at the punctuation of it, and when he looked at it, he thought that meant that he didn't want the Lord. He thought that King David said, the Lord is my shepherd, but I don't want him. But Beloved, praise God for good punctuation. Sometimes we just got to learn the punctuation. Sometimes we've been taught something all of our lives about the way that worship ought to be, and then turns out as we get older, as we learn more in the Word of God, that's not the way that it should be. I love that quote from D.R. Lakin, as he used to would say as he was preaching. He said, reading your Bible will unfit a lot of good preaching. Sometimes we've heard a lot of good preaching through the years, and then we get to reading and studying the Word of God, and it changes everything. Remember that as even as we are in Psalm 23, we come into it with the context. We come into it with the context, ultimately, of Psalm 1 and 2, to where King David is declaring, he said, I'm going to meditate on your, on your law day and night. That, beloved, if you're meditating on his law day and night, well, King David still had to be king. He still had to do his kingly duties. He still had to go out and be a human being. He still had to go to the job every day. He still had to go to his family every day. King David, though he was meditating on the law day and night, had to go about the rest of his life. So surely that should tell us something about the way that we honor the Word of God in our lives. That we're meditating on it day and night, and that it should be in the course of our lives. We mess up. I think about it. I failed again to pray for it, and then maybe next time we'll remember it. But we had begun praying for the Beatitudes together. And we would read the Beatitudes, and then we would pray through those, and I just forgot it again this morning. Hey, we wrote it down, and I still forgot it. Beloved, sometimes I just mess up. There's no two ways about it. But yet I'm so glad to a gracious God that he still invites me as his shepherd. Miss Tara and I, we were watching a video last night, and I just had to watch it because I knew we were coming to this passage, and it kept dragging on, but it was... A, it was this image, or it was rather this video of the sheep that just wanted to taunt the dog. And there was the sheepdog out there, and the, the sheepdog was underneath the shepherd. Obviously, the sheepdog was a good, obedient dog and was listening to the shepherd, but this sheep really wanted to face off with this dog. This sheep really wanted to keep looking at this dog and stare it down, and the sheep did not want to behave. But it, it was interesting to me how the shepherd, I kept hearing the voice of the shepherd. I don't know, he was speaking a different language, I think. But he kept telling the sheep to just do its job. I don't know what he was saying, but I got the gist of it. I can understand from the context of it, the shepherd was saying, just keep doing your job, and eventually that sheep will relent. Keep doing your job, and eventually that sheep will relent. Praise God for the sheepdogs in my life. 
that God, when I have gotten stubborn, when I have turned away from God, knowing that he is my shepherd, knowing that God's the boss and this is his book and I'm supposed to do what he said, as one preacher once said, and knowing all of these things, knowing that he is my shepherd, I don't always listen to the rest of the passage. Sometimes I get the punctuation of it mixed up. When it's saying the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I know intellectually that it's supposed to mean that I don't want for anything, that I don't have lack of anything. But yet the way that I treat this passage many a times is I forget the punctuation. It's just I don't want God. That's the way that that sheep was interacting. He didn't want the blessings of the shepherd. The sheep thought that it could go its own way. Beloved, never we as sheep can go our own way. Sometimes I look at how many people in their lives want to live a Christianity that is apart from the church. And there is nowhere in the Word of God that you find that. I am increasingly willing to say with absolute certainty that if you're living a life apart from all other believers, you're not living a biblical life. You're not living as a biblical Christian. I'm not saying you don't belong to God. I'm not saying that you're not truly born again. That's not my proclamation to make. I don't know if y'all picked up on this, but this has been a harrowing decision in our, in my life at least, but in the life of this congregation is we've got some that have slipped off and we don't see them anymore. And there's action that has to be done. And I'll just be real frank with you. I don't want to take the action. I don't want to look at anybody and say, we've got to remove you from the membership of Shepherd Baptist Church. I don't want to look at anybody and say that in that condition. But beloved, there comes an extent to which you and I have to do that because they're no longer among us. It's not that we're declaring them not to be Christians anymore. I don't know. We don't see them. We don't know them. We don't know their lives. They're not around us. I, as the under-shepherd, am unable to serve them in that capacity because they refuse to gather with us. They're the sheep that has slipped away. But even as much pain as that brings me, I rejoice in God knowing that I'm not the true, that I'm not the ultimate shepherd, that I just merely serve as the under-shepherd and that, that he is the good shepherd. He is the one that can bring them back into the fold. And it may not be this fold. Maybe in God's providence it is. I'm not going to cross anybody out on that opportunity. But now we've got a church member that I think about it. And I don't want to bring too much onto it, but it's very personal to me. So it just comes up. I think about we've got one sheep in the nursing home now. We've got one sheep that's not going to be able to gather with us. That changes the situation. And it worries me because it's like, okay, I, I get to have a good bit of influence with him still because, well, he's my grandfather. You know, I, I have a good earthly position with him to be able to minister to him. But I'm not ending that relationship with him as merely grandfather and grandson. I also have the relationship with him of pastor and parishioner. I also have the relationship with him on that level. And it worries me. How do we care for those in the nursing home? Because there's just an ultimate level which I can only minister to them so much. And it brings me back to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. But you all read it to me this morning. You all just made the declaration. You said the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. Then in all my failures, and trust me, you can ask Ms. Tara, I have been on a several months just bout of realizing my brokenness, my sinfulness, my inadequacies, everything else about it, realizing, frankly, how terrible of a pastor you all have. And yet God is my shepherd and I shall not that God is your shepherd and you shall not want. There is a great, wonderful truth that you and I are able to proclaim to this morning. You may not have intended it that way, but you said it, so I'm going to hold you fast to it. 
I was invited one time to the baptism of a friend of mine. He said, I want you to come. And I said, now I want you to know this means that I'm going to have to hold you accountable as a Christian. You realize that, right? You're inviting me to your baptism with a specific invitation. I'm taking on the accountability. I'm taking on a certain accountability that I have a certain level of responsibility in your life. You've invited me into your life in a certain capacity. Now, I've not spoken to that friend in quite a while, but I'll tell you, he's still my friend. If he picks up the phone and calls me, I'm going to do anything I can help that man because I love him because he's one of my friends. And I saw him baptized that day. I've had questions about his life at points, but I pray that he knows Jesus. He's wandered far from the throne of God, as it seems. He seems to roam far from the presence of God, but I don't know his life. But still, I pray for him, knowing that the good shepherd is his shepherd. That day, he may not have said it to me, but he declared, he said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. When you join as a member of any local congregation to an effect, you may not say it. That may not be the proclamation. That might be a really cool thing to work in for a membership opportunity, a membership pledge. is for somebody to say, I, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. Because for me, it's a liability clause. It's been like, I'm broken. I'm messed up as the pastor. But he ain't. If he's your shepherd, if he's the one that causes you not to want, I know you shall never want. But I don't know about y'all. I wrestle with this because I don't always think I can trust God. There's part of me that knows. There's the intellectual part of me that knows I can trust God. There's the intellectual part of me that knows that I'm able to make the second declaration that you all made is I shall not want. I know that declaration, and yet I'm not sure that I always trust him as my shepherd. The great problem in the Garden of Eden, as we so often talk about, I don't know why, God just seems to have worked that so much into my life that I can never escape the realities that we long to leave the Lord. We long to walk the separate pathways from Him. I love it sometimes. It's almost been used as cliche, but I think my parents may still have the photo somewhere out there of the footsteps in the sand. And it's been used as a cliche, and some people like to beat up on it. I just want to say praise God that it's true. How that sometimes it looks like there's two sets of footprints, and then sometimes there's just one set of footprints, and you think that's when God's left you, but that's actually when God's just picked you up and carried you along. Beloved, y'all, I still love that example. I think that's one of the cleanest, purest examples of just a good, godly understanding of things in this world. Sometimes God's just got to carry you. Sometimes when you feel the most downtrodden, sometimes when you feel like you want the most, sometimes when you feel like nothing in your life is being answered the way that you want it to be answered, hello, is that any of y'all this morning? You don't have to raise your hands. You can just affirm it silently. There are times nothing seems to go right. Everything we seem to do seems to go wrong. And I look up to God and I say, God, I know you are my shepherd, but I sure do feel like I'm wanting here. There is a wrestling with this that I can't get past the first clause this morning, that there is a wrestling and there is a drama to this for me to say I shall not want seems counterintuitive to my actions. And yet, beloved, what a wonderful truth it is when we pull back and we remember. How many times in the last few months, just as we've been walking through this season together, I've had to look to Miss Taryn and I just pray, and I just ask her with this grace, will you pray for me in these things? Just because there is nothing good that I can do with my own. There's these things. I know the intellectual understanding of this. And yet for me to actually pray to God, I shall not want. is a whole different made to say, God, I prefer you over everything else in my life. I shall not want. The rest of this psalm is a glorious and a wonderful thing, but you got to understand verse 1 before you can get to the rest of it. I really do. I wish I was one of those preachers. And if I had my way, that might be exactly what we did, is just take six weeks and cover Psalm 23. I think somebody a lot better than they can do that. Just take six weeks and cover it and just look at it. Maybe even 12 weeks. Maybe break it down into the double clauses of it. But the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. But we continue on this morning. He says, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. I was reflecting on Spurgeon as he notes, and I love. 
if you ever have it. There's a lot of free versions of it out there. You can find it on different websites. Is uh, the Treasury of Scripture, well, not the Treasury of Scripture knowledge, the Treasury of David by Charles Haddon Spurgeon. You can go there, and I love, I love turning to the back of each psalm because he's got hints to preachers, and he's like, here, if you can't understand, if you're too stubborn, here's a good hint for you to pick up on. And I, I love listening and looking and reading those hints of Spurgeon as he said, and he says, note how it says, he maketh me lie down. It didn't say he asks me. He asks me to. He invites me to. No, he says he makes me to lie down in green pastures. Beloved, perhaps it is the situations in our life to where we feel the most wanted, where he is making us to lie down in green pastures. It's not that we want to lie down. It's like, no, God, I want to go on a little further. I want to proceed on a little further. And he says, no, I'm going to make you lie down in green pastures. I'm going to make you lie down where the pastures are properly watered, to where the desert land is not a God you to where you have plenty of water you have plenty of food you have plenty of the providence in your life but you won't do it on your own so I'm going to have to make you lie down in green pastures I hear it so many times and it's said so sweetly and it should be but sometimes for some of us that are stubborn like me it needs to be said a little bit more forceful where it says I'm making you lie down in green pastures to where when I question the goodness of God he says I making you do these things. Please don't ever do this to me unless you just have to. Please don't ever grab me by the lapels. Most of you have heard the story by now. I don't like it when people grab me by the lapels. If you're getting that intimate with me, you better be somebody that has a good place with me in my life because that is a level of intimacy that few have permission to do in my life. Miss Terry is one of the few that has permission to grab me by the lapels. Mama's still mama, so she still can. Daddy and Tyler's going to be a conversation if they do. I give the other two man. They still have that permission to still when it seems that God just sometimes has to grab me intimately by the lapels and says hold on a second and let me make you lie down in green pastures let me make you to lie down where I would have you to be and then it says he leadeth me beside the still waters maybe you know surely you've heard I can't add anything to Psalm 23 but perhaps you've heard the story of the sheep will not drink from a rushing water a sheep simply will not drink from rushing water. If it's flowing water, a sheep is not going to drink from it. If there's any, almost any kind of flow in the world to it, any kind of disturbance from the world, the sheep's not going to. That tells me that sheep are mighty picky. It tells me that we're very picky animals. It tells me that there's a lot of picky ways about us that we're not going to do just anything. And The equation that's been said so many times, many sermons, I've heard on Psalm 23 over my life, but... I love the example that somebody gave and it said what the shepherd will ultimately do is he'll begin to take stones and he'll begin to dam up a little section of that water and he'll separate it off and that's the way that the shepherd provides for us. He makes us to lie down in green pastures but not only does he do that, he's gone before us and he has prepared us a place to drink from. He's made sure that the place that we're drinking from is still. He knows what we won't drink from but he knows what we will drink from. He knows the waters must be still in order for us to drink. Beloved, if the waters were flowing, it would take us away. If there was any kind of movement in this psalm, we see that we are weak. We see not that we are strong but we see that we are weak. It says, he restoreth my soul. If the soul is in need of restoration, the soul has been departed from God in some capacity. And how often our very souls. I love how in Genesis it says that he breathed the breath of life into the nostrils of man and made him a living soul. Is that you don't just have a soul, that you actually are a soul. Brother Powers have made to understand that one one time. 
is that he says that you are a soul. Beloved, if your soul needs to be restored, that means your life needs to be, to be restored. That means all of who you are needs to be restored. Some of you have walked through periods of restoration in your life. Some of you are actively walking through periods of restoration in your life. And I submit to you that in some capacity, I've often heard it said, you know, you're either going through a storm, just come out of a storm, or about to go through a storm. I've always heard that equation in my life. Beloved, something tells me that's probably true about restoration in your life. You're either being restored, you've either just been restored, or you're about to be restored. And I don't know which one it is in your life. But, beloved, there is restoration that is needed for our souls, for our lives. It is that we need to be led into the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Not for your name's sake, not for my name's sake, not for Shepherd Baptist Church's name's sake. But that we are led in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The life of the sheep is not ultimately about the sheep. The life of the sheep is ultimately about the life of the shepherd. It's ultimately who the sheep belong to is the shepherd. It's ultimately who cares for them. It amazes me just to hear stories about shepherds and how they care for their sheep, how they wind up hanging out with their sheep all day, how they wind up smelling like their sheep all day. That's one of my favorite encouragements that I hear given to pastors is, Pastor, you always smell like sheep. I think about that. It's not a pleasant smell from what I understand. I've been around some goats. I've not been around many sheep in my life. I've been around plenty of goats. They stink. But my understanding is the sheep smell, they sure do stink too. Somebody noticed there was another little hint, I don't remember perfectly, that said, be careful that we're not the goats. Be careful that we actually are the sheep. There's so many times, and I think you might be able to go down the pasture down the road. You might have a real-life example just down the hill from you. I think there's sheep and goats down there together on the same place. The sheep, they'll butt heads with one another. The goats, they'll butt heads a whole lot worse. The goats are a whole lot meaner animals. Goats seem to stink more. Make sure, beloved, that we belong as the sheep and not as the goats. Let us make sure that what we're doing for you is, is all for the good and all for the namesake of the master, not for the namesake of ourselves. When we make these public declarations to one another, let us live in light of these public declarations. In verse 4, he changes paths almost. It seems to me... Almost a complete change in it. If you've been listening to the tenor, if you've been listening to the voice of verses 1 through 3, it seems he is almost talking about something different here in verse 4 as he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Something that is set before the king, something that is set before David, is that he's saying, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He didn't say, Yea, though I walk through death, but if you are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, it's as good as if you were dying. It's as good as if you were going through there. Whatever challenge in your life, there are times that it seems as if you were dying. You know it may not be the end of your life, but you know that it seems as close to the end of your life as you've ever known. And yet you look unto God and you know that you will fear no evil because of Him. For Thou art with me, Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. I was listening to something from R.C. Sproul yesterday who's now passed on back in 2017, I believe, but I was listening to a, a recording of his that he was talking about death, and he said, I'm not afraid of death. He said, but what you did not hear me say is, I didn't say I'm not afraid of dying. He said, I'm not afraid of death. He said, the promise given unto the Christians is not that death would be easy, but the promise of death is that he'll be with us. That being the central difference. If you've ever watched life leave somebody in your life, you know that it's not easy. If you've ever had to pray before somebody was about to pass away, you know that it's not easy. There's 
could have been a bad son. I had to say the public prayer for somebody in court. Unfortunately, the ones that I've talked to, I believe that they wanted to There have been some deaths in my life I didn't know. And some moms in my death, they claim to be a Christian, but I'll be honest with you. The evidence just wasn't there, and I sure was worried about it. I had to speak up at the funeral of one that I didn't really know where he stood. I said, according to his testament, this would be true. I've gathered at the gravesides of others that I knew they didn't believe. They wanted to make sure that everybody else knew they didn't believe. Beloved, the promise for us in death is that he'll be with us. There's a saying that seems to be increasingly unpopular in the rest of the world. One thing that Christians do well is they die well. That seems to be far from the case anymore. I'm careful. Y'all probably know me by now. This word celebration of life, it gets on my nerves. It just does. It's a pet peeve of mine. It's a funeral. There's supposed to be some mourning going on. And then I come off my high horse and be like, well, maybe they actually need to celebrate the life of the one who passed. Maybe that is there. And it is there. In funeral homes, they're even rebranding themselves. They say their name. They say a celebration of life. It's happened in our local communities that I've heard of these things. And I'm like, why is everybody so quick to celebrate? And there does need to be celebration. But, beloved, what the world seems to want to do more and more is cast away death to the side. Is to put death away from us as far as what we can in our life. So that we might not have to deal with death. So that if we'll only celebrate their life, we'll never have to deal with the reality that they're gone. And do you know what we're doing when we do that in the public sphere? We're telling you, go privately and mourn. Don't you dare mourn publicly, but you go privately and mourn. Don't you dare mourn publicly. Beloved, in the times of the Bible, they would hire people to mourn with you. They would hire mourners to go about. I was hearing about that passage this week in a revival meeting. Minister, and I got to go attend. I was reflecting on that. Beloved, you and I must confront death in our life. It has been well said of Christians in past and previous generations. Is You can say one thing about Christians, they die well. Beloved, I fear that's no longer true with us for the majority of us. There seems to be such a fear. But beloved, I've never forgotten the ones that have died that I've watched in my life that I knew they belonged to God. There was no fear about it anymore. It's not that they wanted to die, no. It's not that they weren't afraid of what it might take to die. They just knew the Lord was going to be with them. They knew that was the ultimate hope that they had is that the Lord was going to be with them. And it says, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The rod and the staff, of course, if you've often noticed, it's often listed as two. You see a rod and a staff, but oftentimes I've also understood the staff to be both. That if you've ever noticed the staff of a shepherd is, it's got the crook in the neck. But then it's also got the side that's the rod. It's got the side that's the rod. My understanding is it seems to be both of them. It may be two instruments, but when I look to the staff of the shepherd, I see both. I see that on the same stick, it's got the side of this crook that is meant to go around the neck of the sheep and gently lead them back into the fold. But it has also got the side that is the rod that is meant to fend off the wolves. Beloved, our shepherd carries both. That is the reason that his rod and his staff, they are they which comfort us. Beloved, we know that if we go astray, he leads us back into his fold. But we also know that if it's an enemy that is coming against us, we also know he is the one to fend off the wolves. He's not asking us, the sheep, to fend off the wolves. He is asking instead that he would be the one to fend off the wolves. Maybe we need to remember that sometimes. Sometimes we think it's us that have to keep the wolves away. And it's actually the good shepherd that's saying, I'll keep the wolves away. I'll be the one to do it. You just come into my fold. 
You just come into my presence. He says in verse 5, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Beloved, that the banquet table has been set. Yes, it is witnessed elsewhere in the scripture that he prepares the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. The picture that that ultimately relates to is he makes us to feast before the presence of our enemies. Though our enemies be starving, it seems to me that God makes us to feast. It seems counterintuitive. It seems to me that sometimes God would let us be persecuted for righteousness sake as we've read so many times in the Beatitudes as we've prayed together so many times. Beloved, might that be the table that has been prepared for us? Might be that the bountiful table that is prepared for us that God is talking about? That it actually be persecution? Because in the Beatitudes, we see how Christ treats persecution. He, we see how he treats the opposition of the world for his name's sake. Not for our name's sake, but for the name of the Lord for his sake and his sake alone. That might be the greatest blessing we have. The blessings of God are often going to look different than what we understand the blessings of the world to be. Blessings of the world might be something like a celebration of life where nobody has to shed a tear. One of my favorite, I hate to say it that way, but I don't know if I think that's why. One of the best visitations, let me say it that way. One of the best visitations I've ever seen was a mother who lost a daughter. And most of the people coming into that, it was a tragic car crash that happened on Cashtown Road a few years ago. And most of the people that were there were sad. That mama was not. Now that mama would tell you that that day she was sad. That, that day she mourned. She wasn't hiding the fact that she was mourning. She's not hid the fact that she's mourned afterward. But in that visitation, I got to watch her as that line slowly moved forward as she was the one that comforted everybody that walked through that line. As everybody else that was broken and downtrodden, she was the one that brought comfort. Beloved, sometimes God brings to us comfort through means that we can't understand. If anybody in that place had gone through the worst, it would have been that mother, that father, and those siblings that were gathered together, and yet they were the most inspirational of the group there. They were the ones that did the most comforting. Beloved, the blessings of God don't always look the same to us to the rest of the world. But when we belong to the shepherd, we know that he makes us to lie down in green pasture. We know that he leads us by the side of the still waters. We know that he is our shepherd and we shall not want, and that he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies, that he anoints our head with oil, that our cup runneth over. That saying that he anoints the head with oil, it's, it seems to me mainly in the, in the shepherding culture that, that's to keep the flies off. I got to be with my grandfather as he raised horses and there was always some kind of horse spray or fly spray that he'd take and those horses, they seem not to like that at all. They seem just not to be a big fan of that fly spray. They'd shake their head and they, oh, that mane would be flying everywhere around them. But they sure seemed thankful after a while that the flies weren't on them as bad because beforehand the flies would go all over them. When it says that he anointed your head with oil, yes, it has to do. It has callbacks to the anointing of the priest. Yes, it has callbacks of that you belong to him. But beloved, he has taken you into his care, and he pours oil over your head just so that the flies may not bother you, so that the rest of the world may not bother you, so that you might not get sunburned on top of your head. It's not a pleasant experience. What he is doing for you, he is doing for your good, is that he anoints your head with oil, and it's a messy experience sometimes. And yet your cup runneth over. You know that you have more than what you have need of because of him. In verse 6, you're able to say, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Beloved, the conclusion of this psalm 
is that he knows God draws us in. He knows that, yea, though he walks through the valley of the shadow of death, ultimately goodness and mercy shall follow him all the days of his life. The reality that we have of God as our shepherd is we know goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives. It's interesting how he says, shall follow us. Beloved, it seems to be if it's following us, that means it's a trail behind us. That means that ultimately as we look behind ourselves, are we leaving a trail of goodness and mercy toward others? If God has so given to us such graciousness, such goodness, such mercy in our lives, should not it look behind us, the trail that is behind us, and it be full of goodness and mercy? There was a big fall of the pastor. You've heard me reference many times in 2014. It seems to be in 2023, he's down a few states south. Seems to be a lot of the same things repeated, but there was a statement that he made early on before the fall in 2014 of that church. He said, you either need to get on the bus or you're going to be run over. Bye. That was a statement that he made. If that church continued to grow, he said, you either need to get on the bus or you're going to be run, you're going to be run over behind it, and there's going to be a pile of bodies behind this bus. That's actually what the man said. Beloved, that ought not to be the way you and I approach life. That strong man argument that we're looking for sometimes. Beloved, we need to be looking for the one that is weak. We need to be looking for the one that died upon the cross. And beloved, as we look to each and every psalm, we know that ultimately, the greatest fulfillment of these psalms is in Christ Jesus. Yes, we know that Christ is our shepherd. But yes, we know that Christ was able to live down this life, was able to live this life, and able to lay his life down. That Christ was able to perfectly fulfill that. That yes, in the pathway of Christ, that mercy, goodness and mercy truly did follow him all the days of his life. Every path that he went down, goodness and mercy followed him. That he was the chosen of God. He was the anointed of God. Everything that is true here, Jesus perfectly trusted him. You and I are wrestling with the things of Psalm 23. And yet Jesus did it perfectly. It says in the end of verse 6, and it says, And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Beloved, that's the goal that we have set before us, is that we would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It may come a season where you and I are in different places. It's a life of a church, is that sometimes you've got families for a season and then they're gone for a season. I think about these pastors in college towns. And I can think of a pastor in particular that he pastors a lot of college students. And the biggest problem he's got is, every four, every year, he's losing a crop of students. Every year, somebody in that four-year cycle is going out. And for him, that's just normal. He knows he's always got to be working. He knows he's always got to be trying to shepherd souls. He knows that when they leave there, it may not be the last time. He knows that when they leave that congregation, they may still be calling on him because they're not done with him. He's still a pastoral figure to them. He may no longer be their primary pastor, but he's still somebody that cares for their soul. Beloved, I'm thankful that though I may not be able to care for your souls perfectly, I'm thankful that we'll dwell in the house of the Lord. I'm thankful that ultimately we belong to him. I'm thankful that he is our shepherd. And we shall not be. I'm thankful that he makes us to lie down in green pastures. That he leads us beside the still waters. That he restores our souls. That he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And that though we should walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil for he is with us, and his rod and his staff, they will comfort us. And he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. He anoints our heads with oil, our cups to run over, and surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives. 
and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I submit to you that you've not done this perfectly this week. I submit to you that you'll not do this perfectly this coming week. But beloved, the one we keep coming back to is Christ himself. The one who did do this perfectly. At every broken step of the way, he draws us back to himself. Every time that we imperfectly trust him, every time that we imperfectly obey him, because we are his sheep, and not the wolves, I pray, but because we are his sheep, he takes the fruit of the Sabbath and he brings us gently back into his fold. Some of us may need a whack over the head every now and then. A little bit of correction. But I pray to God he always brings us back into the fold. We may have to sick a sheepdog on us to get us to be a little bit more humble, but he'll bring us back into his fold. What a blessing. Father, we thank you for this precious song that you've given us. Father, may there always be the external expressions of worship, but may there also be the internal expressions of worship. And God, as much as we're able to outwardly proclaim you, may we truly be able to inwardly worship you. Father, may we worship you in spirit and in truth this morning, day in and day in. We pray all of these things in thy Son, Jesus Christ, in holy and wonderful name. Amen.